How are you feeling this morning? Healthy or unhealthy? Good or not so good? Well or sick? How are you feeling this morning? Now, you might think, Pastor Bryce, if I was feeling sick, I probably wouldn't even be here. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be sitting here. And, and many of you have experienced that kind of absence recently, haven't you? It's been a kind of a season of sickness all around. We've seen it. Some of you may be experiencing that right now at this very moment. But the healthy and the unhealthy that I have in mind the well and the sick that I believe God wants us to consider this morning is not about your temperature, not about your blood pressure. It's not about your heart rate or your level of pain or any other physical or medical metric. This morning, God wants us to focus on our spiritual health. That's where he's having us look this morning. Let's do that by turning over to Mark 2. You're probably already there. Mark 2 from our new Bible reading plan. The readings from this past week. We're looking at verses 13 through 17. Mark 2, 13 through 17. A little bit about the context here before I read through those verses. Mark 2 introduces us to, at least in this gospel introduces us to the Jewish religious leaders. The Jewish religious leaders with whom Jesus often clashed throughout His ministry. Came into, came into, found, experienced opposition from them. It presents to us, this chapter, leaders like the scribes and the Pharisees. It, it presents them through a series of five conflicts or confrontations. The first one is in 2, 1 through 12. Then our main text here, 13 through 17. Then in verses 18 through 22, number 3. And then another one in 23 through 28. And finally, flowing over into the next chapter, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, we find a fifth conflict or confrontation. Now, keeping that in mind, listen to what the account, this account, the one we find in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 2, listen to what it reveals about their opposition. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to Him and He was teaching them. And as He passed by, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and He said to him, follow Me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, that is Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, and tax collectors said to his disciples, Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
So notice this right away. This section parallels what we saw at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in the previous chapter. And we happened to look at that, you know, last month as well, but you read it this past week. Think about this, specifically in chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, we saw Jesus preaching and teaching publicly, and that was then followed by an account in which Jesus specifically called an individual or individuals to follow Him. In chapter 1, that was two sets of brothers, wasn't it? Peter and Andrew, and as well as James and John. But here, the story is focused on how Jesus called just one man, a man named Levi. Now, we should ask, why highlight Levi's story? Why highlight Levi's story? Well, for one, we believe Levi was also called Matthew. That seems to be, when you look at all the Gospels in context, Matthew, Levi also seems to be known as Matthew, a disciple who was later appointed to be an apostle. So that's one reason that he's highlighting this story of Levi's calling. But in this context, what's emphasized about Levi is not who he would become, but who he was when Jesus called him. He was what? He was, he was a tax collector, wasn't he? He was a tax collector. Tax collectors have never been popular, have they? <laughs> I don't know. Show me a culture where a tax collector is popular. I, just, I don't think you can. Now, add to, the, to add to that the fact that tax collectors like Levi are collecting taxes for an occupying imperial power like Rome. Ooh, wow. Now add to that the fact that many tax collectors demanded more money from people than they needed to collect. This was a kind of theft that John the Baptist himself rebuked in Luke chapter 3, verse 13. So we know it was happening. So yeah, that would, that Jesus would call a tax collector to be his disciple would have been very troubling to many people. But please notice what Mark tells us in verse 15. After joining Jesus, probably to celebrate His discipleship, just with joy in His heart, He opens His home to Jesus and to the other disciples who were following Him at the time. This is what Levi does. But, but Mark is very clear here about the social standing of many of those Christ followers. He's very clear at the end of verse 15. So in addition to the fishermen that we know about, we read that, verse 15, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and His disciples. Why was that the case? For there were many who followed Him. They weren't just, as is popular, we thought, it, it, oh, these are all just Levi's friends. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying these people were already following Jesus, these kinds of people. So if the observant person would have already noticed that Levi was not a strange addition to the team. <laughs> these people were already following Jesus. Who were these quote-unquote sinners? And wait, isn't everyone a sinner? What's going, what is, what exactly does this mean? These people were sinners. 
Well, when you look at the Gospels, the only other pairing like this, the only other term that's connected in the three Gospels, first Gospel, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when you look at those, the only other term that's ever used is the term prostitutes. So you have tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners is kind of the catch-all phrase for this group of people. Now, that's enough, I think, to give us a sense of what sinners means here. What does it mean in this context? It means simply people of ill repute. That's what it means. People of ill repute. Those who were held in very low esteem by the public. Right? They were looked down upon. These were scandalous people. These were people who should, should have been ashamed of themselves according to most in the society. These were ignominious people. There's your word for the day. Ignominious people, right? So what is Mark telling us here? He's telling us this simply. Jesus Christ crossed social boundaries in order to minister to everyone. Does that put a smile on your face? It should. It really should. Jesus Christ was not going to be held back by social boundaries drawn by men and women, by human beings. He was going to step over those lines because what He was doing was far greater, far more important. Those boundaries could not stop Him from doing what He was called to do, what He was sent to do by the Father. Amen? He stepped across those lines. That is coming out very clearly here. But highlighting this about Levi's story, this fact of who Levi was, the group that he belonged to, what Jesus was doing, that's not an end in itself here in this story. You see, this leads, as you can, as we saw, this leads in verse 16. Where does it go? It says the scribes of the Pharisees, that is the scribes who were attached to the party or the school of the Pharisees, were shocked that Jesus would associate with such people. Especially through sharing a meal with such disreputable characters like these. Here's an interesting fact about the Pharisees. One scholar studied the rabbinical traditions that appear to come from the Pharisees and noted that of the 341 teachings or rulings that can be traced to them, 229 of those 341 were concerning table fellowship. Boy, you had the wrong people in the room if you were going to do this. These guys are really, really sticklers. I mean, this they were... 229 out of their 341 kinds of teachings were about who you should eat with? Wow. Wow. For these Jews, for the Pharisees and others, to share a meal with people, you might be asking, what's the big deal? But in that culture, you need to understand that for, so for many of these people, this was, number one, not only opening your, oneself up to possible ritual defilement based on the Old Testament, Right? You didn't know who was clean or unclean. What if somebody was 
you know, had had a sickness? What if somebody had been in contact with a dead body? What if somebody had any number of things and they were ritually impure and they didn't they didn't give a flying hoot whether they were there or not? They weren't separating themselves. Well, you might open yourself to ritual def- uh, that ritual defilement by eating a meal with them. Or number two, you might open yourself to possible moral defilement, being corrupted by their low character. And number three, you would be communicating to others in these people's minds that you seem to be okay with such behavior. That's why they had a problem with it. Therefore, they believed that Jesus was undermining His whole ministry through this kind of compromise. And in addressing this, With his closest disciples, they don't bring it up with Jesus, do they? They're off to the side talking to the disciples about it. I believe that they expected these guys to to say, oh yeah, this is really troubling. Why didn't we think about this before? This is really problematic. And maybe hoping that they would walk away from Jesus. Do you really want to be associated with a guy who's doing this kind of stuff? But Jesus knows what's being said, doesn't he? He's probably over there at the table talking, maybe laughing with somebody else. And they don't think that he hears them, but he hears everything. He knows exactly what is being said. And the response that he offers here in verse 17 contains such precious and powerful truths. We simply can't miss these. Brothers and sisters, friends, we simply can't miss these. The first is this. Let me give you kind of a summary here of the first of these. The first is this. Like an ill person desperate for a doctor, these men and women were honest about the soul sickness that afflicted them. Let me say that again. Like an ill person desperate for a doctor, these men and women were honest about the soul sickness that afflicted them. Though they seemed far from God's Word... Right? That's how the Pharisees and other leaders would have seen that. Don't tell us about law, the God's Word. Don't tell us about Moses and the prophets. We're the experts. Though they seem far, they seem to have understood better than many an Old Testament verse like Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9-10, through 10, where the prophet said this, The heart is deceitful above all things. That's the human heart. That's your heart. That's my heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately what? Desperately wicked? Is that what it said on there? My translation says desperately sick. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then verse 10 says, I... Yahweh search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Do you see the, do you see the common, when you put those two things together? My heart is deceitful, right? Above all things, it's desperately sick. And then he says, who can understand it? And then he gives you an answer, doesn't he? Yahweh searches the heart and tests the mind. He can understand it. So he's going to see and he knows that that deceitful heart in me. He knows that sick, desperately sick heart in you. 
He knows it. He understands it. And even more than that, He's going to give every man according to His ways, according to the fruit of His deeds. He's going to bring judgment. There will be accountability in the end because of this. When you understand that, when you really embrace it, what kind of mindset does it put you in? What kind of posture does it put you in if you believe this is true about yourself? Accepting that very truth about their heart sickness as sinners and accepting the reality of God's judgment to come, these men and women were absolutely eager. They were profoundly hungry. They were deeply open to the radical message of forgiveness and inclusion that Jesus was preaching. They were ready for it. They wanted it badly. Did their social stigma always line up with God's moral law? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? A guy who was a tax collector might be doing something that his neighbor said, you shouldn't be doing that, you traitor. And yet, he was coming under the governing authorities. He was trying to, if he wasn't trying to steal money from people, but only trying to carry out the job that he had. John the Baptist doesn't rebuke the tax collectors per se and say you shouldn't be working with the Romans. He says, stop taking more than you're supposed to take. Luke 3.13. Prostitution. Well, we know that God's moral, moral law speaks against that, doesn't it? So there's ways that we could say, well, the social stigma doesn't always line up exactly with, with some kind of sinful behavior, but in a lot of cases it did. And just even the fact that these people were on the fringes, even the fact that these people were so rejected and marginalized by that society and looked down upon, disreputable, I think that it, it probably had those people extremely sensitive to the lifestyles that they live. And maybe some of them were hardened, yes. And they did it anyway. Not these people. I think they were looking for an open door. I think they were looking for hope. They felt what it was like to be pushed out and judged so routinely, condemned so easily. I think they were ready for hope. They were ready for it. And Jesus came and He brought them that hope. One commentator put it like this. I, I should say, He was like the divine physician among them. That's what He says. Calling them to Himself and offering healing that only He could bring. One commentator expressed it like this. Take a look. Jesus eating with the social and religious misfits meant more than a gracious acceptance of their hospitality. Each depicted the gospel of God's activity, the good news of God's activity in calling together a new people of the kingdom, the promise of wholeness in the age of salvation, and the forgiving reconciliation of God with His alienated people. Powerful. Each of those meals, that kind of lifestyle towards these people that Jesus exemplified. But second, we're just talking about verse 17 still. We're just talking about verse 17. Jesus' response to the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees. Remember, we're talking about a section in which there's five confrontations or conflicts between Jesus and these religious leaders. So that idea is really key here that you understand 
What's going on? Why this opposition? And that's what's being brought out here. So second, in terms of Jesus' response, hit second, in the immediate and the broader context of this section, the response of Jesus in verse 17 also reveals something extremely troubling about these religious leaders. Take a look. Like a person who wants to appear healthy. That wouldn't be any of us, would it? No, no. Like a person who wants to appear healthy, who wants to tell themselves, I'm okay, I'm healthy. The condemning spirit of the Jewish religious leaders simply confirmed their soul sickness. Their soul sickness. They were sick as well. It's evident here. You can't be right and righteous and come into conflict with Jesus, the Son of God. You can't have a different tact, a different take, or a different perspective on matters like this than Jesus, the Messiah of God. He is always right. And when you differ from Him, it's revealing something about you. It's revealing something about your heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's what it's revealing. That's what, that's what's clear here. What these leaders seemed unable to grasp was what the second century church father Justin Martyr explained in his first apology. He said this, take a look, for the heavenly father desires the repentance rather than the punishment of the sinner. Pharisees didn't believe that. If Jesus was like a divine physician moving through the ER, right, of, of the pre, of the kingdom waiting room, if he was moving through there and, and, and like a divine physician and, and looking for those who were hurt, these people, these Pharisees, these scribes, they were like the they were like the medical examiner coming up and just grabbing live people and saying, "Well, there's no hope for this one, and there's no hope for this one, and there's no hope for this one, and there's no hope for this one." So let's just take them out and take them down to my refrigerator. We'll put them on the slab. Right? Let's just take them now. Because that's all they're good for at this point. Right? Let me cut them open and do the autopsy or whatever. That's all they're good for at this point. Totally different perspective than the doctor who comes with healing hands and tools. Who comes to save. These people for these leaders had been written off long time ago. They had written them off. For the heavenly Father desires the repentance rather than the punishment of the sinner. A more recent commentator explained the point this way. Take a look. Unfortunately, some of the quote-unquote healthy showed their inherent quote-unquote illness in their attitude towards Jesus' ministry to the quote-unquote sick. But until they recognized their need, they could not utilize the help of the physician and thus they excluded themselves. So let's return to our opening question. The first one I asked you this morning. Let's go back to that question. How are you feeling this morning? How are you feeling this morning? Are you well or are you sick? What has God revealed to us in this text? What has He reminded us of in this text. 
Let me summarize a couple sentences just to try to summarize it for you. You'll see them on the screen. I think he's revealing this, that though we can be tempted to tell ourselves we're well, real wellness only begins when we acknowledge our sickness. Real wellness only begins when we acknowledge our sickness. Real wellness flows from recognizing our desperate need for the physician's care. If you are interested in real wellness, this is where it begins. The principles that we see on display powerfully in this story point us in this direction. I don't want to just tell myself that I'm healthy. I don't want to just tell myself that I'm well. I want to know that I'm truly well. And the the signposts from this story are pointing me in this direction to know that genuine, real wellness only begins when I've acknowledged my sickness. It only begins, it only flows from recognizing my need for Christ's healing. Thankfully, it's not often that I'm physically unwell. I've had a pretty good run of it so far. (laughs) What's the old phrase? Right? I've had a pretty good run of it by God's grace. I've never been admitted to the hospital. I've never even been in an emergency room except to be the companion of someone else. But when I was in my late teens, I was with a good friend and we stopped at his parents' house so I could use the bathroom. I won't go into any more detail except to say my stomach was doing very strange things. It did not feel good. When I entered that bathroom, I had no idea that it would be several hours before I came out. Hours. I had become so ill that I ended up laying on the floor of that bathroom for three and a half hours. Unable to move almost. And hours later, when I was able to finally get up, I ended up going just down to my friend's room, laying in my friend's bed for several more hours. My sickness was so severe, I could do nothing for myself but gratefully accept the care offered to me. Let me say that again. My sickness was so severe, I could do nothing for myself but gratefully accept the care offered to me. Brothers and sisters, that is our salvation. That is our salvation. Those without Christ, those listening without Christ, that is your hope. The acknowledgement of your condition. Acknowledge your soul sickness, God is saying to you this morning. Acknowledge your soul sickness. Acknowledge your deceitful and desperately sick heart. And then accept the great physician's healing touch in your life. Jesus died. He went to the cross and then He rose from the dead to make us truly well. Truly well. And that's the wellness He's speaking of here in this passage. So we might want to ask this. Is this only a salvation or conversion issue? Is that what we're talking about? Not at all. A saving acknowledgement of my soul sickness. A saving acknowledgement. For many of you, that saving acknowledgement took place long ago. 
For some of you, that saving acknowledgement of your sickness, your soul sickness, took place months or years ago. But that saving acknowledgement of your soul sickness, of my soul sickness, should set the pattern for my walking with Jesus. It should set the pattern. As Paul would ask the disciples in the Galatian churches, he would say, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What does it mean to be perfected by the flesh? It's to slip into that mindset to say, I'm okay, I'm doing fine. I'm healthy, I'm well, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm fit spiritually. And saying that, contrary to all the evidence, contrary to the biblical thermometer, contrary to the the biblical scriptural metrics of are you actually healthy or not. Having begun by the Spirit, that's that acknowledgement, isn't it, of our soul sickness. Desperate hunger for Jesus. Desperate hunger for Jesus. That's beginning by the Spirit. Paul knew that Christians could slip back into that mindset. Let me say this. Though a truly born again believer will never again belong to the sick, you won't be in that category again. You, it won't be your defining term. The sick. Right? Christ brings us from that when He calls us. Though we are not going to ever belong again to that category of the sick, he or she, a true disciple, will always struggle in one way or another with that sickness of sin. You know it as well as I do. Right? It's empirically proven week in and week out in our lives. And Scripture supports this idea. If it did not, Paul and Peter and James and John would not have had to have written the majority of what they wrote to churches who were struggling with sin, right? They told them very clearly, hey, stop doing this. What are you doing? Don't go that way. Take off the old self. Put on the new self, right? They would tell them and encourage them to walk in that way. They knew that they were struggling with that sickness of sin. But thankfully, friends, wondrously, the great physician, in that struggle, the great physician is your constant companion. It's like a doctor just walking with you every day, every time. Ow, I just hurt myself. Ow, oh, my stomach's feeling weird. He's, he's right there. He's right there for you every time. His healing is always available to you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done. And His healing is never not effective. You're not going to have to tweak any medications. Right? You're you're never going to get a dud. He's not giving you spiritual placebos. He's not giving you something that, you know, oh, did that take care of it? His healing is never not effective. We can thank God for that. So I ask you, in what ways do you need His healing today? In what ways do you need His healing today? Be brutally honest with yourself. Don't be like most of us guys, right? We have something going wrong with us and we're kind of like, oh, it's okay. You know, my nose is about to fall off, but you know what's good? It's good. Like, it's, you know, 
yeah, I've got this constant sharp pain for the last six months, but I think it'll go away. I think I just have to work it out a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying be a reactionary, like a hypochondriac, (laughs) every little thing. I'm here again, doctor. I'm here again. Could it be? No, that's just acne or that's just whatever. You know, that'll pass. That's not a big deal. But don't be like those stubborn guys. They just don't go. They just want to, they don't want to confront the truth. They don't want to have anybody tell them this is, this is what's really going on and why didn't you get in here sooner? We have to acknowledge that. Because when, until we acknowledge it, we don't receive the healing that God has for us, what He wants to do in our lives. So I ask you again, in what ways do you need His healing today? In what ways do you need His healing today? The wonderful truth that we have here and the reassurance that we can have is no matter the boundary set by you or anyone else, Christ will step right over it to get to you. He is available to you this morning. There's nothing you could could have done. There's no way that you can feel right now that will keep Him from coming to you because He came to call sinners to repentance. He came for those who know that they're they're needy, desperately needy. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. Now, in light of these precious truths, let me leave you with this important application. Here's one application of what we could talk about, what we're talking about this morning. If we, brothers and sisters, if we are followers of Jesus, we are followers of the great physician, yes? We are followers of the great physician. If we are, if, if that's true, we will, unlike the scribes as they portrayed in this story, we will be his physician assistants. Right? We are heavenly PAs. That's what we are. We serve under Dr. Jesus. Right? We follow him. We are at his side. We serve at his pleasure. We are looking to Him. We are turning our eyes to Him as we just sang moments ago. We want to be faithful physician assistants in the lives of others. Matthew Henry, though, warns us about temptations that we face to dismiss that call. The same thing that was in the scribes of the Pharisees is in us, too. I hate to tell you that. But Matthew Henry warns us. Take a look on the screen. He warns us about temptations to dismiss this call. Those are too tender of their own good name who to preserve it with some nice people will decline a good work. Christ would not do so. Does that make sense? Try to protect your own good name in the eyes of some. You will fail to love the people you should. And be with the people that you should be, who need you. Christ wasn't like that, was He? Thankfully, thankfully, He was not like that. His example is set before us. Commenting on this very same story, French pastor John Calvin offers us this good advice when temptation confronts us, temptation to be like the scribes. And we drift towards that, don't we? We can draw lines ourselves. We can say, well, I'm going to bring the healing of Christ to this person, but that person over there, no, I don't think so. That just seems too weird, strange, uncomfortable. That person probably does not want to hear from me. I don't really want to go to that person. (laughs) 
whatever the reason, we can fall into that same temptation. We can start drawing lines. We can start creating those categories. Even if we don't aren't thinking of this explicitly, we can do the same things. And we know that in many places, unfortunately, in many churches, even still today, churches have been more prone to judge and throw stones than come alongside and embrace those in need. And of course, we say to that, shame on us. Shame on us as the people of God. That's not our Savior. That's not our Savior. Calvin says this, Why then was Christ Himself made a sacrifice and a curse, but that He might stretch out His hand to accursed sinners? Now, if we feel disgust at being associated by baptism and the Lord's Supper with vile men and regard our connection with them as as a sort of stain upon us, we ought immediately to descend into ourselves and to search without flattery, search out our own evils. Such an examination will make us willingly allow ourselves to be washed in the same fountain with the most impure and will hinder us from rejecting the righteousness which He offers indiscriminately to all the ungodly, the life which He offers to the dead, and the salvation which He offers to the lost. What a good word, a good corrective for us, right? Brothers and sisters, for the glory of the great physician Jesus Christ, Let us look for this day and this week. Let us go to the sick. Let us go to those people. Let us ignore the social boundaries drawn by men or maybe drawn by our pride-filled, fear-filled hearts. May we cross them. May we be inspired by His example. May we testify of His healing in our own lives. And may we offer each person a place at the table at the banquet of his amazing grace amen amen let's ask god to strengthen us in this word to keep our eyes fixed on jesus and prepare our feet and our ears and our mouth and our hands to be used by him in the lives of the sick this week let's pray